seated. Mark chapter number 6. Mark chapter number 6. We're going to dive right in this morning. I knew with the Lord's Supper this morning that I needed to shrink my sermon down, but I didn't really shrink it down. So we got to dive right in here and get moving here pretty quickly. And uh, today we look at the passage of Jesus walking on the water. And we've just, last week, the miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, 5,000 to 20,000, how many ever it could be. And then we look down, Mark chapter number 6, go with me down to verse 45, and we're going to read there through the end of the chapter, and then we're going to look and learn some things this morning. Verse number 45, and straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethesda, while he sent away the people. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling and rowing, and the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. And when they saw him walking upon the sea... They supposed it had been a spirit and cried out. You and I would have thought the same exact same thing on the water late at night like that, right? And so, and the Bible says, and cried out. I don't think this was just a little, ah, I think this was, I think in those days, if they thought they saw a ghost or something, they felt that death was imminent, that that was the next thing coming. So they felt like it's the middle of the night, everything's going on, this is the end. They cried out. The Bible says, for they all saw him and were troubled, and immediately he talked with them and said unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. This is, remember back when the other time on the boat, and he calmed the storm when he was asleep on the boat? They were amazed. He just feeds 5,000 men with five loaves and two fishes. But this is very interesting. Look at this next verse. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. And when they had passed over, they came into the land of Gesineret and drew to the shore. And when they were come out to, of the ship, straightway they knew him and ran through the whole region round about and began to carry about in beds those that were sick, where they heard he was. And whithersoever he entered into villages or cities or countries, they laid the sick in the streets and besought him that they might touch, if it were but the border of his garment, and as many as touched him were made whole." A side note before we get deep into the message this morning, the people who had just heard about him had more faith in him than the disciples who saw the miracles take place. Another interesting thought if you want to go there, remember how the man, the maniac of Gadara in that area, did Jesus have him come with him or did he have him stay back? He had him stay back. What had that guy been doing through those last couple chapters? Been telling everybody about Jesus. And when Jesus comes back over there, there was a crowd of people waiting for Jesus. So the man followed what the Lord wanted him to do. 
And that's another message for another time. We look at this passage today on Jesus walking on the water. But I really could have titled this Seven Lessons to Learn Through the Storms of Life. Seven Lessons to Learn Through the Storms of Life. As we look at this passage, we see once again the disciples are told to get on a boat and to go somewhere. The Bible says in our passage here that he constrained them. Do you see that right there? That means he constrained his disciples to get into the ship. The word constrain has the idea of the disciples being pushed into the ship. This is where he wanted them to go. I want to give you this morning seven lessons. We're going to dive right into these lessons and get through them this morning. But number one, as we go through the storms of life, we need to learn to obey even when we don't understand. Obey even when we don't understand. We read verse 45 again. It says, And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before into Bethesda while he sent away the people. And I, Mark, in this passage, we know he loves to use the word immediate, straightway. Those are words that are used often as he talks. But as we see, literally, the feeding of the 5,000 takes place. This takes place, and abruptly the Lord says, All right, guys, get in the boat and go. That's literally what he tells them. He constrains them. He pushes them to go. And in Matthew 8, verse number 18, the Bible even tells us he gave commandment to them to go. This was a command from God, you need to go. This is what Jesus told them. And we think about it, the 5,000 just get fed, all these things happen. And the obvious question is, why do you want us to get back on the boat? But we don't see anywhere in any of the Gospels where any of the disciples question. They get on the boat and they just obey. You think about it, in our lives, too many of us want to know all the details before we decide if we're going to obey God or not. It's like we got to have everything figured out. Why? Instead of just saying, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. The disciples, the Lord said, get on the boat. They did it. But so often the Lord will tell us something. We'll be like, why? We sound like little four-year-olds, right? My four-year-old's good at that. Why, Dad? Why? Because I said that's why. Why? But we do the same thing with God. You look at this passage, I don't think it makes a lot of sense to send the disciples on the boat. But it doesn't matter what I think makes sense and what doesn't, because if he says do it, we just do what the Lord tells us to do. In John chapter number 6, we see that the people want to take Jesus by force and make him king. And what Jesus does is he sends the disciples out on the boat and then he dismisses the crowd is what actually takes place in this passage. And you've got to understand this morning, are you, are you struggling with obedience? Do you look at the, maybe the storm that you're in or the area of whatever's going on in your life right now and you struggle with obedience to God? And, you're, and it's like, it just doesn't seem right. This just doesn't make sense. I want you to remember something this morning. Things don't always make sense to us but it makes perfect sense to him. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are, my ways your, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And I'm thankful for that today. Because even my best thought doesn't compare to the worst thought God ever could have. His worst thought is still light years greater than my best thought ever could be. And so sometimes you look at life, and you look at a storm, and you look, hey, why am I getting back on the boat? We already were on the boat. We already went through a storm. 
you're getting away for relaxation, right? Now you're having us get back on the boat? Didn't make total sense to them. But you got to remember something. You just need to obey. Listen to God. He knows what's best. The disciples, they got on the boat. Lesson number one this morning, we see obey even when you don't understand. The second lesson we can learn from here is that Jesus prays for you when you can't pray for yourself. Jesus prays for you when you can't pray for yourself. We see in verse 46, and when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. We saw earlier in Mark chapter number 1 and verse 35 the fact that in the morning, a great rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. He unplugged from others in order to pray and to spend time with the Father. And let this just be a lesson for all of us. Let's make sure we get this here. Prayer is so important in the Christian life. And I think we minimize on prayer. Prayer is the most Im- one of the most important things we do. And if Jesus, the Son of God, perfect in all of his ways, got a way to spend time in prayer, that's a great lesson for us. Did you pray this morning? Will you pray this afternoon? Will you get some time alone and just talk to God? Prayer is important. We look at this thing and we think about prayer. And as we just, the Bible mentions a few different times. And I think of through the disciples and even with Peter. We see that the Lord, there were some things that he prayed. And he prayed letter A. You see, for our for our faith not to fail. He prayed for Peter's faith not to fail. The Bible tells us in Luke 22, 31-32, Jesus said to Peter, and the Lord Jesus said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to sift to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. What are some other examples? Let her be that we stay away from sin and Satan. The Lord's Prayer, what I call the Lord's Prayer, is John chapter 17. Look at the model prayer in Matthew chapter number 6 and things. But what did Jesus say? He, his prayer for his followers in John 17, 15. I pray not that thou shouldest send them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. That was his prayer. Not only for his disciples, but that's his prayer for us. And then the third, or letter C there, that we would experience undivided unity. That was God's prayer. That was what Jesus said. It's amazing to me the disunity in Christianity today. When this is what Christ prayed about. Look at John 17, look at that verse there, verse 20 through 21. Neither pray I thee for these alone but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. He prayed for you right there. Before he died on the cross, he prayed for you. That they all may be as one. As thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Do you know how the world's going to know that there's a difference between God's people and everyone else? Because God's people need to get along. That's the truth right there. You want to go to a, 
an assembly where people argue, go to Congress. You can find that. But churches are a lot of times no different than the House of Representatives is or than the Senate. And, what do, and we see here that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. When the world sees a church where the people get along and they're unified together, that's they're like, whoa, my family doesn't even do that. No one in this world does that. There must be something there. That's what the Lord was praying for. Let's make sure at Victory Baptist Church that we're a church that's unified together. And you might not like everybody, but we can be unified. We have a purpose for everything that we do. Let's be unified together. And we think about the fact, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 2, verse number 14, For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. And we know, we think about the Jews and the Gentiles and all of that. There is no, that wall's been broken down. We can be unified together in Christ because he's the one who brings the peace. He's the one who makes us one in him. You know, let me just make sure we understand something this morning, too, as we talk about prayer here for a couple minutes. The problems in our country today will not be solved by politicians. They're not going to be solved by people protesting, but by prayer. Prayer is what we need. Social transformation will only come about when the church is spiritually transformed. You look at all the great awakenings that took place in this country. Where did they always begin? Prayer. Prayer meetings, be it young people, be it people taking time out in the middle of their day, prayer. We need prayer today. This country needs prayer. We need to focus on prayer. We see number one this morning, obey even when you don't understand. Number two, Jesus prays for you when you can't pray for yourself. Number three, Jesus puts you where you don't always want to be. Sometimes he puts you where you don't want to be. We look at verse number 47. And when the even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. It's getting dark and the disciples are not getting close to land, they're right in the middle of the water. I think they could remember to themselves that they, before the storm that they were in, in the middle of the water. Probably not where you want to be. And then this time, they're in the middle of the water on this boat, and instead of Jesus being on the boat with them, he's on the shore. At least before he was asleep in the boat, he was still there. But this time, it's not even here. And Jesus sometimes puts us where we don't always want to be. This is a great lesson for us. And as we look at this, and we try to break it down and just think on these things, you're like, I don't like the, situ- I don't like the storm I'm going through. Well, sometimes Jesus puts you right where you don't want to be because he knows what's best. Now, for the disciples at this moment, this is where they needed to be. This morning, you might be going through a storm. This is always what our prayer is. Lord, get me out of this. Isn't that always our prayer? That's not a good prayer. I get why we pray that. And there's been times in my life where I've prayed that. But what's God trying to teach you where you're at? You know, I think of Paul's words as he's saying in prison, the book in 
in the book of Philippians as he wrote, I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. He learned it. It's not a natural thing. And sometimes wherever you're storing, you're like, I didn't, I don't want this in my life. Well, sometimes you don't get to choose what comes into your life. Let me rephrase that. Most of the time we don't get to choose what comes into our life. But there are times where the Lord puts us in places that we don't want to be. But we need to go there anyways. You're going to go there. You can either get a good attitude about it and accept it. Or you can be upset about it and still be in this. It doesn't change. It won't change the situation. People, we don't like to think this way. But I really don't think that they wanted to be in the middle of the sea at that time. But there's some more truth that will help you out as we go further here. We see number one, some lessons. Obey when you don't understand. Number two, Jesus prays for you when you can't pray for yourself. Number three, Jesus puts you where you don't always want to be. And number four, Jesus sees you when you can't see him. Look at what verse 48 says. Verse 48 says, And he saw them toiling and rowing, and the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by. You see right here in this passage the fact that they, they couldn't see him, but he saw them. And as we think about that, the disciples, they're a long way from shore. The wind's blowing. They're having a tough time as they're trying to row this boat. And the fact there in verse 48 that he saw them. Let's ponder that and just think on that for a minute. Jesus sent them into the storm on purpose. And as this happens, he's got his eye on them the entire time. He knows what's going on. Wherever you're at today, whatever storm you're in, you might look and say, I don't know where the Lord's at. He's there and he sees you in the midst of it. He knows what you're going through. He knows the trouble the disciples were going through right there. And even if it feels like you can't see him, he's still there because he promises he'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you. As we look at this and as we just think about this, the disciples here and the, from John's account, the disciples were three to four miles from land and yet Jesus could see them. You think about this letter A, they were in pain and not making, making much progress. The word toiling means to torment and torture. They were not getting very far as they were rowing. You know, what's that Disney movie that just says, just keep swimming, just keep swimming? I forget, it's one of those. But they probably were saying to themselves, just keep rowing, just keep rowing, just keep rowing. I think it was Finding Nemo. I think that's what it was. But they weren't getting anywhere. They were not making much progress. They were in toil here, as it says. And then letter B, we see the wind was contrary to them. The wind was contrary to them. The Christian life is not always smooth sailing. And while we have mountaintop moments... And thank God for the mountaintop moments. Man, two weeks ago, Louie talked me into climbing the top of Mount Baldy. So if you, and we're not talking about these two that you see up front here. I'm talking about if you're a little farther back and you look at the highest point up there. 
4,000 feet of elevation gain in 3.6 miles. Took my legs about a week to recover from that. That was a lot of work to get up there. But there's something special about the clouds were almost right up there with us. It's, it's cool to be up on top of everything and to be able to see everything around. You can see the ocean from up there. But do you know what? You don't spend your life on the mountaintop. You got to come back down. Sometimes you might get to spend a little bit of time on the mountaintop. Sometimes you don't. But as we look and we think about the Christian life, there are valleys that we're going to go through. There's struggles that we go through. And, you know, there's going to be blessings that come in the midst of burdens. I think about the disciples. The Bible tells us in Acts 14, verse 22, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in their faith and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. There's going to be hard times. Just get that into your head. In the Christian life, there's going to be hard times. And I feel the closer we get to the Lord coming, it's only going to get worse. I'm going to be honest with you this morning. And so, as we look at this, you've got to take comfort in the fact that as they were struggling, Jesus saw them. He was there. This morning, you might feel like in your life, I'm getting nowhere. I've been going, I've been going. It seems like everything's caving in on me. He sees you this morning. For the Bible says to cast all your care upon him, for he careth for you. He cares about you. His disciples, he cared about his disciples. And when we see this, you got to understand, number five leads us to deliverance is often delayed until it's the darkest. Do you realize that God doesn't always answer things in the time that we want him to? Or when we feel is the best moment? So the lesson that needs to be learned about the storms in life. You go back to the end of verse number, um, you look at ver halfway through verse 48, it says, And about the fourth watch of the night he cometh unto them, walking by the sea. Now, you'll notice in verse 47 that when even was come, the ship was in the midst and he was alone on the land, he saw them. He saw what they were going through at even. He didn't go out till the fourth watch of the night. Between 3 and 6 o'clock in the morning is the time that he went out, as you look there. That you th as you look at that and you think about that, there's no doubt the disciples would have wanted Jesus to come faster. How many of you would agree with that? How many of you think in your life there are times where I would just like Jesus to answer this right now? I'm just waiting for an answer. Just give me an answer, please. They're on the boat just wrong. We're getting nowhere. It's getting later and later, and we're just still just right here. And he comes. But he comes always right on time. He makes his way to them. And he knows, get this, he knows where you are, and he knows the right time to help. He's never early. He's never late. He truly is the only one who's always on time. That should bring us comfort. And sometimes we've got to go a little bit longer in the trial that we're going through. But Jesus comes to them at the point of their deepest need. That time of night, he came. 
But sometimes we look to God and we're like, why aren't you answering me now? Why did you make me row all night long? And you know what the answer to that is? Who knows? The Lord does, but we're probably never going to know the answers to our struggles. But I know this. He comes on time. Never early, never late, right on time. We see number six, and we're just about done here this morning. Just some lessons to learn from this passage about the storms. Your greatest need is to see Jesus for who he is. As we go through the storms of life, your greatest need this morning is to see Jesus for who he is. And we look at the end of verse 48, and there's this little phrase there. It says, and would have passed by them. What does that mean? Does that mean that he was just going to walk right by and just, no, and, you know, what's, what's going to happen? If they weren't looking, what, are they going to miss him? This phrase and the way this phrase is the same, use the same language that Exodus chapter 33, verse 19, when Moses wanted to see the Lord. And it says, and he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And so when God, he said he would pass before Moses and then proclaimed his name as the Lord, Jesus was not trying in this passage to hide his identity from the disciples. What he was wanting to do is reveal his glory and goodness. Verse 49, the first part, and verse 50 tells us the disciples, when they saw Jesus, thought he was a ghost. They cry out. The word spirit, that's where we get the word phantom from. And, you know, as I mentioned before, a common cultural belief was that if you saw a ghost, that your death was imminent. But you got to understand, what do you think was the disciples' biggest need at this moment? For the wind to stop? For the boat to move? For them to get to shore? No, I tend to think what they needed at that moment was to realize who Jesus really was. Now get this. The ones who had spent a ton of time with him, the ones who'd been through storms in the past with him, the ones who saw him feed the multitudes of people, saw him heal the lame, raise the dead to life, cast demons out of people, the ones who saw all of that were the ones who needed to see Jesus for who he is. Look at what he says there in verse number 50. Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. That be of good cheer could also mean take heart. Hey, be of good cheer. Be brave. Get a grip on things. Notice that we're not they're not called there. Hey, what's wrong with you? Get a grip for yourself. No, he says, hey, be of good cheer. It's I. Where does our strength come from? Our strength comes from the Lord. Our help comes from the Lord. Our strength comes from him. And as we look at this passage, we see the fact that the Lord tells him, and as we look at this, he doesn't say, hey, you guys are amazing and incredible. You'll figure this out for yourself. No, he says, hey, be of good cheer. Take heart. It's I. I'm here. Great lesson for us to remember. 
interesting, too, that in, this, that in the book of Mark, we don't hear about the fact that Peter walked on water. Because we know Mark wrote this book, and it's more light than less, it's Peter's account of what took place. And so Peter's just not talking about himself here and leaving the focus where the focus should be on Jesus and what he did. But I will just add this for you for, for, for the sake of thought right here. You know, some people look, well, Peter started to sink when he went out on the water. Where were the other 11? At least he got out of the boat. But do you notice that when Peter's eyes, when he had his eyes fixed on Jesus, he didn't sink? But when he started dwelling on the water and the wind, he started to sink. Because you see, the greatest need we have in the midst of the storms of life is our eyes on Jesus. Because we tend to fail and to start to fall when we get our eyes off of him. We look at, hey, this situation, this storm I'm in, it's too much for me to handle. I can't take this. I can't do this. And the Lord's like, hey, be of good cheer. I'm right here. You're going to be okay. You notice there as it says in that verse, in verse number 50, be of good cheer, it is I. Jesus uses an emphatic personal pronoun that would remind the disciples of Exodus chapter 3 and verse number 14 when God said to Moses, I am that I am. You remember in other passages, I love John chapter um, 8 verse 58 when Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you before Abraham was, I am. And you got to understand, the people got mad. This was blasphemous because he was comparing himself to Jehovah God. And Jesus is letting the disciples know the same exact same thing. Hey, guys, there's no need to fear. Everything is going to be okay. As you look at this here and you look at it. Hey, there's no need to fear. I'm right here with you. And church this morning, the same God that Moses had in the Old Testament, the same God the disciples had in the New Testament, whatever storm you're going through, no matter where you're at in your life today, I want you to understand, hey, you can be of good cheer because the Lord is there and he will help you get through that storm. Christ is all that we need, literally. We need nothing more than Christ. Hey, as you go through those struggles, keep your eyes on Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. You see, the disciples just need to realize who they had with them again, who he was. Which leads us to point number seven. We'll be done here this morning. Be on guard against a hard heart. How could the disciples be so dumb after witnessing the feeding of the 5,000 and all these different things to have any doubts? In fact, they got on a boat before and the Lord got them to the other side. Why should they doubt that he would do the same thing all over again? But you look at what verse 51 and 52 says, And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure, and wondered, for they considered not that the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. The Bible says there they were sore amazed. That means bewildered beyond belief, or literally, 
to leave your mouth open and surprised. Ever been that surprised about something? That's how it was for them. They were sore amazed. Jesus walks on the water. He calms the wind. But literally, the Bible says in these verses, their heart was hardened. got one of two choices in the storms of life that come. If you've ever spent time with me as you're going through a struggle and I try to be an encouragement to you, there are two things I always bring up. The two things I always bring up is this. The situation you're in, the storm you're going through, one of two things is going to happen. Number one, you'll let this storm get you closer to God. And you'll get better because of this storm. Or number two, this storm will harden your heart. And you'll get bitter against God. The disciples were hard of heart right here. Now we're not talking about the world's crowd right here. We're not talking about the Pharisees. We're not talking about the Sadducees. We're not talking about the scribes. We're talking about the disciples. The ones who loved Jesus and gave up everything to follow him. If their heart could be hardened, what makes you think that our hearts couldn't be? Don't let the storms of life that you go through harden your heart towards God. Because you're going to miss out on what he can do. If you turn a hard heart towards God in the midst of your struggle... What's going to happen is you're going to try you're not going to know how you're going to get through what's going on. When the Lord's going to be your only way. Yesterday I got a phone call from Faye Treadwell. She's just gone through it the past 5 years between her husband passing away, about 2 years ago her daughter Debbie passing away out of nowhere, and then to just a month ago her son Chris passing away. And if anybody, and, and I've, I've been there each and every time, and her cry every single time, it's just not fair, I don't understand it, especially when losing children, her own children. She says, it's supposed to be the other way around, it's just not fair. Those are the words out of her mouth. She called me yesterday, and Connor is getting his license and things, and his car needs about a certain amount of work done to it and a certain amount of money so she called me she's like pastor i got it i got a letter today from a friend and guess what there was a check in that letter do you know how much the check was for said no but you're gonna tell me and she told me the exact amount the car is gonna cost to be fixed and she's like i took connor aside and i said i know that he's struggling with some of these things and I just said, see, in the midst of the storm, God always takes care of us. And she's trying to teach her son that even though things happen, we don't understand. She's not going to get a hard heart towards God because God is her only source of strength. And she's pointing him in that right direction. That's powerful. That's how it's supposed to be.
And I can say that this service because the live stream is not on. Next service, I probably won't use that example. Be on guard against a hard heart. As I mentioned, the, the hearts were hard of the disciples. But man, all these people in the land, they, heard Je- they saw Jesus come. They brought everybody. They weren't hard-hearted. They were humbled by the fact that Jesus would come and that he would do what he would do for them. Just some lessons from the storm this morning. Obey even when you don't understand. Jesus prays for you when you can't pray for yourself. Jesus puts you where you you don't always want to be. Jesus sees you when you can't see him. Deliverance is often delayed until the darkest. Your greatest need is to see Jesus for who he is and be on guard against a hard heart. Just some lessons through the storms. You might say, oh, pastor, I'm not going through a storm. You will be. Mark it down. You will be. Maybe you're like, well, I'm in one now. I needed this a few weeks ago. No, the Lord knew you probably needed it today. And if you're in a storm now, you'll get out of this storm at some point. But there could be another storm on the horizon, or there might be a break for a while. I don't know. But take these lessons and use them in the storms of life that come. Father.